Hello everyone and welcome back to the ITE Talks podcast, International Teachers Education Talks. I'm your host Melinda and today I'll be talking to a new guest. His name is Leonardo Gomez and he is a teacher, course and curriculum designer, course and content creator, educator and ELT consultant with extensive international experience. He has a background in teaching for more than over 23 years and has completed his bachelor's degree in foreign languages and literature in Brazil. Additionally, he has completed a master's degree in teaching English as a foreign language and corpus linguistics at Birmingham University. He currently works at Seneca College in Canada, Toronto, as a sessional professor in the English Language Institute. Today, he is here with me to share some of his experience about teaching, creating courses and curricula and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ITE Talks podcast, International Teachers Education Talks. Today, I'm here with Leonardo Gomez, and he's a teacher, course and curriculum designer, course and content creator, educator and ELT consultant with extensive international experience. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for being here and setting time apart. So um, to begin with, could you explain a, a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from? Oh, that's a long story. I don't know if we have time for me to go into um, all the details pertaining to this question, but I'll try to, uh, I'll try to summarize as much as I can. Uh, as you said, my name is uh, Leonardo Gomez. Um, I just usually go by Leo. Um, I've been a I've been in English language education, specifically second language education, since the early 2000s. So it's been almost 24 years doing this, and I've worked in uh, many different capacities. I've worked as a teacher. I have worked as a teacher educator. Um, I have worked in curriculum design. I have recently, I've done presentations and all kinds of things. I have worked as a director of studies. Um, but lately, what I have been really specializing in, um, a few things. Um, well, first of all, I've been working with uh, my company, Learn Your English. And basically what we do is we work with, we help teachers in two different ways. We, First of all, we try to help teachers who want to develop what we call expert teaching who want to develop some sort of expertise or um, agility in their teaching so they can teach better and more effectively. So we have that. So we cater to those people. And we also cater the teachers who um, work for institutions or work for schools, and they would like to have a secondary source of income. They want to create a course. They want to build their own teaching business. So we also help teachers do that. Aside from that, I'm also a podcaster very much like you. I have been podcasting with our podcast, which is called Teacher Talking Time. We've been podcasting for about five years. And I also work um, teaching English for academic purposes in colleges and universities in Canada. Um, I also have my own business, which is also related to course and um, course creation and, and course design. And lately, I've been specializing a lot more in course creation, how teachers can um, actually build or create their own course, because I am a firm believer that every teacher has a course in them. Okay, wow. 
it's an interesting statement to end with. Why do you suggest that? I think because every every teacher has a specific type of knowledge that they can somewhat leverage in a way. And I can give you tons of examples of why that is um, the case. But I would just say, when you think about this, when you think about the fact that every teacher has a course in them, it basically means that every teacher I have worked with in the last 20-something years, they always had an idea for a course that they wanted to teach. I've had teachers who wanted to teach courses where music was the main um, source of input for the students. So it would be basically a course on using music to learn English. I have worked with teachers who like teaching, you know, phrasal verbs. So they can create a course where they can leverage their, their passion for phrasal verbs to eventually create a course like that. I have created about five different courses. For example, one of, one of them was a course on helping teachers teach listening instead of testing it. And uh, that's kind of it. So I think the idea is that teachers really have an area that they are um, passionate about. And once they understand what that passion is, it becomes much easier for them to eventually build their own course. Yeah. Wow. How how did you start your passion for teaching? Oof. I, I'll be very honest with you, Melinda. I don't think I was really into teaching. I don't really believe in this idea that you are born a teacher. I think teaching is very much like a craft. It's something that you can develop with time. And I think we need to understand that Good teaching doesn't necessarily mean doing the same thing for for many years. Um, and I think, I don't remember who said this, but someone once said that if you don't have 20 years of experience, if you have been doing the same thing for 20 years, so you have one year of experience repeated 20 times. So I think the secret for me is like, from the moment I started teaching, which was, again, early 2000, I it just really occurred to me. I wasn't really into teaching. I wanted to be a musician. That was kind of my, my, my dream, my passion. But eventually somebody invited me to teach a class. They were looking for someone and I was studying languages at the time, specifically English and literature. And I was invited to teach that class. I started teaching and I said, Hey, I actually like this. I want to do this more often. And eventually I've never really um, stopped. Actually, I did stop. I have taken breaks from teaching because once you've been teaching for a long period of time, you eventually get a little burnt out. So I, I, I had periods of time in my life where I didn't teach, but now I'm kind of like, I took a long hiatus. I didn't teach for almost two years and now I'm finally back and I, I missed it. But again, I can't do this full time because I think teaching, um, is the kind of, job is the kind of career profession that if you were very passionate about it, you're also going to become, or you're also going to get burned out very easily. Okay. Um, thank you for that. I mean, you've, you mentioned that you've been teaching in different international experiences. Would you like to explain us a little bit about where you were and what it was like for you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've done a little bit of everything. I've taught 
everything from you know teaching children to teaching senior citizens i have taught course preparation course test preparation courses english classes um, english for academic purposes english for specific purposes and i think i was lucky enough with my with my teaching career to have had the opportunity to actually travel and experience teaching in different settings in different contexts i've worked in places like spain canada us brazil um, mexico so i think this i think this experience of teaching in different contexts in different countries dealing with different kinds of learners has definitely shaped and and helped me understand that teaching is much more than just the transmission of knowledge teaching is very much a i would say more of a of a, a connection it's trying to find a way to build a connection with people in the classroom because if that connection is built then learning is much more likely to occur so yeah yeah and that kind of leads into the um, next topic that i was going to ask you about since in classrooms there are multiple students and every student has a different need and um needs different supports mm -hmm. how do you address each individual's support in for example in an efl classroom where english is a foreign language how what are your strategies about that it's it's a good question i don't think there is a, a specific answer or a right answer for this but I would argue that addressing and acknowledging students in any kind of classroom is crucial if you want to create an inclusive and effective learning environment. And I think one of them is, I think the first one is making sure that you use some sort of differentiated instruction because if you teach the same way you teach every class that you have, chances are you're not going to be accommodating the different learning preferences, the different learning abilities, and of course, the different needs within the classroom. So to a certain extent, I think good teaching means that you have to tailor your teaching methods, your teaching materials to accommodate the, 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 div the diverse types of students that you have in the classroom. Another strategy that I think it's really encouraging is to follow more of a I adopt more of a dialogic pedagogy where the students are at the forefront of everything I do in the classroom. And what do I mean by that? I mean that I'm constantly encouraging students to participate in all kinds of discussions, in all kinds of tasks and exercises. I do use a lot of specific techniques like think, pair, and share, or round robin, or even code calling students to make sure that everyone in the classroom has had a chance to contribute because that's another thing that is really important is everyone wants to feel some sort of validation in the classroom. So I think doing that is also um, helpful. Um, on top of that, I would say that I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of communicative language teaching, of using task-based language teaching as well because I really like to include tasks that require students to work together. And when they're working together, what they're gonna be constantly doing is they're gonna be negotiating meaning. They're gonna be asking each other questions. And one thing that you have to keep in mind 
when you are doing group work and working with tasks is to make sure that everyone within a group is being assigned with a very specific role. Because when you give them, like, for example, you're the reporter. So basically, at the end of this conversation, you're going to have to report back to the class. You're the leader. You're supposed to be managing and making sure that everyone is communicating in the classroom. So to if you assign roles within groups, you are likely or more likely, I should say, to ensure that everyone is involved and participating. And of course, there are things that we all know, like scaffolding learning, making sure that you provide the kind of support that students need at different proficiency levels, because you also probably know this, Melinda, students within a class are all within different levels of proficiency. So if you offer them scaffolded tasks, if you offer them extra resources, if you provide them extra time to prepare before they actually do a task, then you are definitely um, helping them out with that. And I think the last thing I would add to this very long-winded answer is the use of regular check-ins. Um, I have something that I do in my classes where I give my students, so let's say if my classes start at 9 a.m., one of the things I usually do is I say, I'm going to open the breakout room or I'm going to open Zoom 10, 15 minutes before the lessons so students can have some sort of one-on-one -on -one or small group conferences where we can discuss their progress. We, they, we can address any concerns, any questions that they might have. So I find that giving them this free space, this open space, which is not classroom time, gives them um, the confidence to feel like they can actually um, participate more and have some of their um, questions or any any concerns or, or problems that they're having um, addressed. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of practical uh, tips there were given with the answer that answers that you gave me. And I think it's a lot of them are, I think they speak a lot for especially teachers like me who are just starting their careers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're standing in front of a big classroom with 30 to 25 students, you're mm -hmm. like, how do I differentiate for everyone? Mm -hmm. Do you think differentiation should be implemented already in curriculums because i read on your mm -hmm. <laughs> linkedin yeah. profile that you're also uh, obviously designing a lot of curriculums is that something you mm -hmm. consider doing oh absolutely i think especially when it comes to to course design i think that if you're designing a course i think you have to in a way identify who your ideal student is. If Again, if you're building a course, okay, if it's a course that is given to you, then it's a different story because then you don't have a lot of freedom to design the course. But if it's a course that you are building and it's a course that you want to teach um, as part of your business, as part of something that you, a project that you want to do, then you have to think about this. Who is my ideal student? Because the more targeted you are, about who your course is for, right? What problem um, the students share and who is not for, the more credible you would sound and the more impactful your course will be able to, will be to your students. And you said something like, do we need to think about differentiator? I don't think we have to think so much about differentiation. I think we have to think more about transformation because the result I think people people don't buy courses, and I, I I like to think it that way. I 
I think that people people buy a transformation. They don't buy they don't buy a course, you know. So when you think about this, is like what is the transformation that my students are going to or my student is going to go through within this course? So how will this course make them different? Because you're going from point A to point B. So when a student joins a course, let's say an academic writing course, a student who is taking an academic writing course, he's going from like, maybe I don't know how to write an essay. I don't know how to write an academic essay using academic language and using citations and things like that. The transformation at the end of that course would be, you will be able to, to write an academic essay so that you can go to university in a foreign country. So a course like that, Melinda, has a very specific transformation. But in order for a course to have a specific transformation, you need to identify um, your ideal student. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people don't do this kind of work. They're not spending a lot of time thinking about who is this course for? Who is this course not for? And things like that. I'm wondering, would this be uh, the same for um, national or international schools? Since you're talking about a course, I would assume it's mm -hmm. more for a specific group. But when you're talking about schools, it's a whole different topic. Yes. Yes, because in schools, it's a course for everyone in that class. Mm -hmm. And a course that is for everyone ends up being a course for no one. And this is why the educational system is somewhat flawed. Because what you have there is you have 30 students all at completely different levels, learning the same thing at the same time, at the same pace, that that's not that's bound to go wrong. You know, I think what we I think the biggest myth in course building is that if you create a course, people will come. And it's not true. Most people think they should start by building a very specific, a very comprehensive curriculum with thoughtfully designed projects, create a beautiful deck, post about the course, and voila, people are going to buy your course and they're going to start, you know, taking this. The, the reality is that people won't. People won't be buying a course like that. People won't be taking a course like that. You know, you want, you don't want to build your whole course curriculum and then find out that it's, it's a course that no one wants. But you don't want to make yourself miserable slogging through building something you personally are not passionate about, even if it's a topic that the market is asking for. So I think the biggest problem for a lot of courses that I see out there is, number one, the transformation is not clear. Number two, the audience is not clear. You need to know who this course is for. Because I like to say this, your teaching is not for everyone. Your teaching is for someone. There are certain people who will probably be more gravity or who will gravitate more towards the kind of teaching and the kinds of things that you like doing in the classroom. And I think that when we, for example, when you're teaching a general English course, mm -hmm. the reason why a lot of people don't finish those general English courses is because they're too general. There's no specific transformation would happening you in courses like that. And would you say like, you mentioned a lot about that, but would you say there there is a change or there's not a change at all? Do you think people are seeing that there are flaws in those? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I, I usually, I kind of, I was talking to my daughter recently because she's in high school and she told, she's telling me like, oh, I'm taking this science course. And I said, okay, 
what's the transformation in the course mm -hmm. are you going from here to here you're going from point a to point b where what what's the outcome of this course what are you going to be able to do after you take this course that you were not able to do before you took this course so that's the transformation basically you know um and i think another thing that i was going to say is the different types of um different types of gaps you know i think every gap sorry every course fills a different kind of gap even a language course an english language course could fit um different um types of gaps and i think that most most courses they think about gaps in the same way they think about that there is always the same type of gap it's always a, a um a language gap but sometimes it's not really a, a language gap sometimes it could be a motivational gap sometimes it could be um an environment gap sometimes it's a skills gap so there's different types of gaps and i think as teachers we need to become better at identifying and addressing these gaps that exist because once you identify the learning gaps and the kind of gap that your course or your students are, are encountering then it becomes much easier for you to write the learning outcomes design the activities because then you know exactly what this course is going to do you know and and I think that's the question Melinda is I think every teacher who's thinking about building a course building curriculum or anything you have to think about this who are these people and you have to ask yourself what's the transformation here and what's the gap what is the gap that exists between where the students are when they begin your class and where you want them to be when they finish and a lot of teachers don't think about that they mm -hmm. just design a course you know because once you know where your students are and where you want them to be when you finish once you've done this then it becomes much easier for you to design the course because then you will be taking those gaps into consideration as i said it could be a knowledge gap you know it could be uh, a skills gap you know it could be a motive a motivational gap a lot of students especially language learning students who are learning a second language a lot of them it's not that they don't know English. It's not that they don't have the skills in English. Sometimes they just don't have the motivation. So maybe you can create a course that will eventually help them fill in this gap, this motivation gap. It could also be a course that you want them to change. So then you have a change gap, you know? Um, basically, you want, you design an activity that requires students to think or learn in a way that they're not used to because they always think the same way so maybe this is a course that involves unlearning some bad habits so that would be a different kind of course for example if you are pretty sure that your students have learned to use library research databases in a very ineffective way then you can create a course that will coach them that will guide them through changing those habits as opposed to assuming that they can or will change those habits so you might have to design a course with those things in mind yeah um well i think the transformation part it's kind of crucial as you mentioned as well mm -hmm. 
But how would you kind of assess that transformation since it's an individual mm -hmm. process for each individual student? Very, this is why it's important to identify who these people are, um, who these students are, right? Because I'll give you an example. I, I find that the most successful courses that I have taken and I've seen people um, buying or, or taking out there are, are courses where the person who is in charge of teaching this course, they, they position their course to solve a very specific problem. The problem with a general English course is that a general English course is trying to solve every single problem. And when you try to solve every single problem, you solve no problems. So you have to understand the problem. What's the problem that you've learned about when you were talking to your students? For example, the class that I'm currently teaching, my students have a very hard time reading academic texts. They have a very difficult time writing academically. So that's the problem. That's the problem. So once you understand the problem, then you can create a course that will help them get from point A to point B easily, quickly. And if you're selling this course, affordably. So it's basically going from point A to point B. But it has to be very clear to your students exactly what they will get. So here's an example. I've used this a long time ago, but as an example was like, learn how to speak confident or learn how to speak confidently. That's too general. It's way too general. Learn how to communicate confidently in meetings and in the workplace so that you can get a job promotion. Now that is a very specific course because it tells them what they will accomplish. And again, if you want to say you can do this in six months, whatever, then you already tell them how long it's going to take them, right? So the idea is you have to, you have to be more specific. You can be too nebulous. And I think general English in a way is a bit nebulous because you're like, oh, it's a course that you will learn English. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm going to learn English. That's so vague. That is a very, very vague example of that. So you have to say, um, you will learn how to write an academic essay so that you can get better grades in university. That yeah. has a very specific transformation, but most courses don't have that. They're just, think about this. You, you've taken English classes in the past, I'm guessing. Yeah? Yeah. Was there any transformation there or was it just a general English class? Yeah, it kind of depends on what class it was, but in high school, it was pretty um, broad, I would say. Yeah. So yeah, so there's no transformation. You're just learning a bunch of general things. So... Courses, good courses, courses that actually lead to good transformations are courses where you have a very specific point A, which is the current situation of the people taking that course. And then you take them into their desired situation, which is what they want to be able to do. And then you create the course where you can map out this transformation. And then, of course, there are steps along the way that you can use to... Um, identify what what they want to do and i have a very good example because i was talking to a friend and he bought a course recently and it was a course 
I think it was a course on AI project management, right? He basically said to me like, Leo, I understand what you mean now. People don't want to buy courses. They want to buy outcomes, you know? So what's the outcome that your students want to achieve? So you can just maybe jot down a few words, a few phrases. For example, um, what do they dream about for their life or their work? What do they want to be different? What do they want to be different about their life or their work? You, you can take notes, you know, and then you can eventually identify who the course is for. Another way you can also do this is identifying who the course is not for. This is not for people who want to do this. This is not for people who want that. It's for people who want a specific transformation. And if you do that, then you can move on to, you know, writing the outcomes and the learning objectives of your course. But that's a different story, right? You can't do anything until you know exactly what course transformation you are going to be offering. Yeah. And I think especially the part you were talking about being too general when it comes to, for example, learning outcomes or a specific course, I think you can also kind of fit that into when you're planning a lesson, mm -hmm. at least with my experience, exactly. I would put very general learning outcomes. And then it would be like, oh, the students will learn new vocabulary words, for example, but that would be too broad. And then my yeah. teacher would comment on that. So I think it's a very practical tip. Yeah, think about this. My students will learn vocabulary. Right. So so what? What what can they do with that? So it's like in this course, you will learn how to so that you can. So a good outcome, a good learning outcome for any course that you should teach, you should say in this course, you will learn how to so you can. So I'll give you an example of, of one here. I, I took a course a long time ago by this woman named Annie Duke, and she's a specialist in like decision making. So her course was how you can beat decision paralysis and master a repeatable process for making better decisions so you can improve the quality of your life and whatever. I don't remember what the other one thing was. But then you have a very specific. So in this, I want to teach you how to create a process for making decisions so you can make better decisions in your workplace and in your life. That is a very specific outcome because I know exactly what I'm going to do with that kind of knowledge and how I'm going to apply that kind of knowledge. In a language learning class, because we were talking about courses, but I agree with you, Melina, this applies to a lesson. I'll give an example. This morning, I was teaching my students adjective clauses, but I didn't tell them it was called adjective clauses. I told them, I'm going to show you how you can pack more information in a sentence so that your sentences read more like academic sentences. I never said the learning outcome, learn more about adjective clauses. What does that mean to a student? Why do I need to learn about adjective clauses? What can I do with those adjective clauses? So a better learning outcome would be in this lesson, I will show you how to pack information into sentences so that your writing becomes more academic and more complex or more advanced. Now I have a very clear transformation in that specific lesson, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good piece of advice. I, I learned it later on when I was teaching in my during my internship, but it's something I'll definitely keep in mind for my next mm -hmm. one. Um, so lastly, do you have any practical tips for teachers that are, I mean, we've mentioned some of them already, but for teachers mm -hmm. that are starting with their careers? Uh, oof. That's like a difficult question. I think, I think professional development, I think that would be my first piece of advice. Um, professional development. I think professional development is the most powerful lever we have for improving education. But I know that developing teachers is hard because a lot of the professional development fails to reliably turn the dial on teacher effectiveness. A lot of teachers take professional development courses and webinars or whatever, but they don't see um, any sort of changes in their teaching. Um, and that's because, you know, the professional development is coming more from the top down. So I think if you are a new teacher and you're starting today, my suggestion is follow um, accounts follow I'm now with the internet you can do that you can follow accounts you can follow people that you think resonate with your own teaching philosophy which also brings me to another point identify your teaching philosophy because your teaching philosophy is going to be constantly evolving especially in the first few years of your teaching but make sure that you have a teaching philosophy that you understand why you do what you do the way you do it so you have to have some sort of theoretical um, background to support why you do the things that you do. And you can't just say, oh, I do this because I think it's fun. No, you have to have some sort of theoretical background to support why you do certain things. Um, and I think experimenting, I think that's probably one of the things that worked the best for me in terms of teaching and developing as a teacher is I was constantly experimenting. Whenever I had an idea, I said, you know what? I'm going to try this out in class tomorrow. And then I would reflect on that experience, on that activity. I was like, ooh, what worked well? What didn't work well? How can I, you know, maybe twist things a little bit here, maybe add a few changes and then try it again. So for me, anyone who is starting teaching tomorrow or is thinking about teaching, my suggestion is, Try to find ways to develop professionally. Follow people and accounts that you that resonate with you. Make sure that you write down your teaching philosophy so you know where you stand and make sure that teaching philosophy is somewhat um, supported by some sort of research so you know you have some sort of evidence-based evidence um, philosophy of teaching. And as I said, finally, experiment and reflect. And we interviewed someone in our podcast recently, and her name is Cecilia Nobre. And she was talking about videos. A lot of she talks a lot about teachers recording themselves and then watching themselves teach. I've done that to myself in the past. And I would say, if you are a new teacher and you're starting out now, record yourself. Get into the habit of recording yourself and watching yourself and critiquing yourself and thinking, what can I improve? What areas do I need? Or maybe even share this with a friend and be like, listen, what do you think I need to do here to improve and become um, a better teacher? So I think that would definitely help. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the video part is a mandatory part of our education right now as a mm. teacher's education. So we do it every year after our internships. And it's quite useful, but awkward at the same time sometimes huh. to see yourself. Um, well, thank you a lot for the advice that you've given me and the listeners as well. Lastly, do you have anything else you would like to mention or say to the listeners? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, and what I was going to say is that if if you are a teacher, I think the most important thing you have to to think about or consider is transformation. I think that's not something I hear a lot of training courses um, touching on. Um, I think teachers should definitely think about what is the transformation that I hope to instill in my students because I I believe that learning in itself is a transformative experience, but it's only transformative if the person who is in charge of those classes, the teacher in this case, is actually also thinking about in terms of like transformation. How can I change my students for for the better? And me, people can follow me on on uh, on Instagram, our our our, our page and uh linkedin uh twitter or x whatever people call it now and uh yeah and 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 check out our podcast too i think that's something else i can i can give you more information about that but that's pretty much it yeah i will definitely write the podcast name and your contact details in the description for this episode um thank you a lot for doing this so that was the first episode i hope you enjoyed it I'll see you in two weeks' time again. If you have any suggestions or ideas, feel free to reach out.